I'm in a meeting room on the third floor of the Ministry of Education building in Wellington. Most Friday mornings, this informal kapahaka group get together to learn and practice kwaita. One member of the group is Alice Patrick, a Pākehā who has spent a good deal of her life teaching te reo Māori. We're there in the interest of um, what we would say whakawhanaungatanga. It's relationship building. It's a chance for us who are non-Māori to learn um, things about the Māori world through the medium of singing, tikanga Māori through the medium of song. And we do have to perform sometimes for um, farewells or for the minister, but in the main we're just people who love to be involved with te ao Māori, um, low-key and no pressure. Alice was born in Aberdeen. When she was 10, her family moved from Scotland to New Zealand under an assisted immigration scheme. Ko Benihi te maunga, ko di te awa, he uri a hau no kotirana. Engari he Māori akutama, no Ngāti Awarawa, ko wirimu te mātāmua, ko hone te pōtiki. Kāti taku kōru, i te motenei wā. Kia ora. Alice's family settled into a state housing area in Tauranga. It was here that she first had contact with Te Ao Māori, through a neighbouring Taranaki family called Laysan. I learnt by osmosis, really. Um, you learnt by watching and listening. And it wasn't as if Te Reo Māori was prevalent in those days either. It was just the way they had about them. Um, whānau was really important. There were seven children in that family. Whānau was important. Um, they used to toss me into their van every weekend wherever they went. It would possibly be going for Kaimwana because Henry Layson was a diver. And um, so they would often go to get Kaimwana. They would take me with them, or they'd visit their nanny in Umokoroa in the old homestead. And it was no problem for them to take this lone Pākehā girl from next door, along with their seven kids, wherever they were going. Mm. Did you feel a little out of place? I mean, your, um, your hair colour and your blue eyes. <laughs> I must have looked out of place, but I certainly didn't feel out of place. And I guess that's that intangible feeling I'm talking about. It was one of inclusivity and whānau was important. And I just... I was treated like their whāngai. Nannies knew me, cousins knew me, their aunties and uncles knew me. I was there for parties in their garage, even though I was only 10, 11 and 12 in those days. I just loved being with them. Mm. And, and I mean, how did you come to be sort of adopted by them? Did, um, were you just hanging around with other kids? <laughs> yes, I was. By dint of being next door and by dint of them inviting me wherever they went. And if we weren't going places in the weekend, we'd just be in their garage playing. Mm. What was the attractiveness of that to you? Was it just an inclusive family? I think it's exactly that. I was the only child left at home by this stage. My other sisters had moved on and married. Uh, I had elderly parents, and their family just seemed uh, far more exciting, if you like. The main memory I have of them, apart from going places with them, is um, the parties, the, the Māori parties in the, in the shed where the koro would play the saxophone and the dad would play the guitar. 
and um, they were good memories. And I do wonder if that residually is why I became interested in kapahaka thereafter, because I love the singing. Yeah. What about the language in those days? Did you start picking bits and pieces up? Not really. It wasn't prevalent at all. I remember some um, course we went on in Form 7, Year 13, and they put us on a Māori course, if you like, for a fortnight, and there was a component of language there at Tauranga Girls on this particular course, and there were some visits to the marae. So that was really my first formal introduction of things Māori. Hitherto it had been totally informal by osmosis through the lace and whānau. And at that stage I was poised to go to university the next year, so that was my first sort of formal intro to it. When did you start investigating that world mm. more? Having left Tauranga at 17, I went to Otago and um, almost immediately met um, a Māori tāne. Um, he's from Ngātiawa. And so that's, the, if you like, the next influence in my life. The Lace and Fano was the first major, major influence. And I do want to meet them. And then it was through my husband's, my future husband's whānau in um, Whakatāne, Ngātiawa. And that's where I did hear Te Reo Māori, and that's where I was on the marae lots watching. Um, I used to take a safe place on the marae, which was in the kitchen as a ringawera with a tea towel, because I felt quite inadequate. <clears throat> the women looked so efficient, and they knew what they were doing. So it was a safe place for me to help out in the kitchen. Alice met her future husband at Otago University, where she enrolled to study European languages. It was through her Māori partner that she started getting much more familiar with Tao Māori, but her first meeting with his whānau was a little frosty. Because I think they would have preferred him to have been with a Māori girl, so that was the first thing, my Pākehā tanga. But he kind of protected me from that and said to them, look out because she actually can speak Māori and she understands everything you're saying about her. And so, um, although initially difficult, um, they learned to not just accept me but love me. When I go back to um, the marae in Whakatāne, for a funeral usually, for a tangi usually, I definitely feel the warmth that exudes from them, even though my husband and I parted decades ago. There is definitely that embracing and really pleased to see me and pleased to get to know my sons as they've um, grown up. So um, when you first went up there, um, what language did you have? I had um, um, stage one, probably te reo Māori, um, but I was keen and enthusiastic and I wanted more. So that's why I pinned my ears open and watched. I think when you were Pākehā in that Māori world, and I would have been the only Pākehā on that marae, and we had a lot of black power people coming to the parties on the marae, and even they were very accepting and embracing of me being the only Pākehā. In fact, I remember one night I was freezing cold and one of the Black Power guys took his jacket off and gave it to me. So I guess that was a sign that I was accepted there. And I think as a Pākehā in that environment, you just have to um, be humble, be quiet, observe, 
and certainly not be too cocky and outspoken. And that was my natural personality anyway, because I'm not really an out there kind of person. So it, I, it fitted well for me. Mm. In, in the absence of, of Te Reo Māori being offered in, in Arotago, um, how would you go on about learning? I'd done up to school C Māori on my own at home before having um, the opportunity to formalise it when we moved from Dunedin after my degree. We moved to um, Wellington for my husband's job. And then I formalised it here at Victoria University in Stage 1 Uni. Mm. Once again, it was very rare for a Pākehā to be in in those classes, in that milieu, if you like, of wanting to learn Te Reo Māori. It was unusual in the early 70s. Um, did they accept you on, on the basis of the fact that you had connected or married, married into it, or was it just an acceptance on the basis of the fact that here was a Pākehā who was honestly interested in learning the language? It's probably on both fronts, I think. There were connections made via my ex-husband, my tāne, and that helps. But I think also, um, if you aren't cocky and you do go in with a humble, open heart, they can see that you're trying your hardest and that you um, are there for the right reasons. And certainly in the 70s, um, there were so few of us that we had to be there for the right reasons. It wasn't cool or sexy or wasn't going to look good on our CV because no one cared about that on your CV and back in the 70s, whereas things have changed in this in this day. This. How easy was it to find people outside of the, the classes to, to speak the real with? Not easy at all. Um, I used to have to practice on my tani at home, but that becomes quite tedious because um, it's hard. It's really hard learning a second language and finding opportunities to practice. So I vowed that when I had my first child, Widamu, I vowed that I would, as soon as that baby was given to me in the hospital, I would call it all Māori, kiaya. And it felt weird, it felt contrived, but I knew I had to do it. I had to break the cycle of hitherto studying the language, but not actually getting it out of my mouth in a communicative kind of everyday way. So that was my vow to myself and my husband that I would do that. And so Wurumu was raised for the first five years of his life prior to going to a Pākehā school with the Reo Māori as his first language. Mm. Wow. So It was a big call for me, a big call. So, so your partner at the time was a fluent speaker? Yes, he was a fluent speaker but hadn't used it much. He'd gone to Tipene, um Māori Boys Boarding School, and he'd heard it a lot back home in Whakatāni but wasn't using it a lot. But when we had Wurumu, that, that sort of brought it all back for him too. So how do you go, um, how, how do you go about <laughs> raising a child mm. in another language when you're learning it yourself? That was difficult. But, you know, the more difficult thing was the stigma on me as a Pākehā woman when I went to other um, Pākehā women events like the local tennis club. You could see people and hear people whispering about this strange Pākehā woman who was talking Māori to her um, preschooler. And I think that offended me more than any, um, yeah, any, any racist attitude towards me. It was, they thought it was strange, weird, whatever. And I remember one day being at the local post office in Karori and another Pākehā woman came up to me and she said, I've heard you talking to your tamaiti in the, 
Prem here in Te Reo Māori, and I just have to come and introduce myself. And her name was Fran Hunia, Pākehā woman married to Leon Hunia, who she's since passed. And she said, we have to um, get together and socialise because we talk Māori to our dog, Tanifa. And she had a dog there. And that was a long-standing friendship that lasted until she died. Only because I was this so-called unusual uh, woman in Karori speaking Te Reo Māori mm, as a Pākehā. What do you think that reaction was about, Alice? Was it were other Pākehā women threatened by it? Don't know if they were threatened. They just probably saw no need for it in their world. It was um, a superfluous thing. Why would I want to embrace that? I just don't think they were on the same wavelength as me at all. They didn't see the importance of Te Reo Māori for this country. Um, did it get easier? I think because I stood this test of time and um, my kids then ended up in schools with the children of these Pākehā women, in the end they just accepted me and that's the way it was in my family. I spoke Māori to, to Wiramu. Mm. You had another son? I had another son, Hone, and um, when he was about two, um, my ex-Tani left. And um, I carried on speaking Te Reo Māori to Hone as well and fortunately both boys did it at secondary school to year 13, and um, Horney went on to do it at Otago University. He has one child now, and I see on the video clips that he sends that he's trying to emulate what I did with him. He's trying to kōrō Māori ki aia, mm, which is great. Alice studied te reo Māori at Victoria University and then trained as a teacher. These days her focus is on helping non-Māori primary school teachers as a Māori language advisor. Helping raise the proficiency of the language is something she's still passionate about. But many are still taken aback when a Pākehā turns up. That attitude is prevalent the whole time. I've been on the phone talking to um, schools, for example, making appointments, and they clearly, by my conversation on the phone, think I'm Māori, and they look visibly disappointed when I arrive in my car as a Pākehā. Before they even get to know me, you can see the, the shutter go down. Oh my goodness, she's a Pākehā. So that attitude is still prevalent. So, uh, but do you get that, uh, I mean, we've talked about the, the, the Pākehā reaction, but what about the Māori reaction? Um, I think Māori who've known I've been on the scene genuinely since early 70s have accepted me being on the scene. I think Māori who don't know me or young Māori who just arrived on the scene, they're probably very judgmental of me. They probably tolerate me, but they're probably very judgmental, I'm guessing. Is that a reflection of the, the fact that it is today on Māori? I'm passionate about it, but they may prefer that, um, that any Pākehā doesn't use it. Perhaps that's what's in their thinking. They might think it's the monopoly of Māori. It's their language and it's, it's they that who should be using it, not Pākehā like me. But, um, I mean, uh, I've heard others, uh, other Pākehā refer to the language as a gift. Absolutely a gift. And that's why I wanted to mihi to the Laysan Fano and my ex-Tani's Ngāteawa family because without their influence and their generosity of spirit and their inclusive nature towards me, I definitely wouldn't have been down this road. 
and I'm still here at 63. It's been, it's been an amazing bonus in my life. I, I can't impress that enough. And do, do you find yourself being like an apologist for the culture and the language? I think many Pākehā teachers that I work with have had some perhaps negative experiences where they've been chastised for wrong pronunciation or for getting their tikanga wrong and they feel more comfortable with a Pākehā who's been down that learning path, who has been perhaps scolded when she's done something wrong. I, I remember being scolded by Kitty Carr once for wearing a skirt um, that was above my knees, and she said, no, you must always cover your knees down to your ankles. And so from then on, I've always gone to any Māori hui with a long black skirt. Mm. As a Pākehā woman in the Māori world, um, was that sometimes... Um, uh, a struggle except in, in some places that the role is different? I'm very aware I'm not just a woman but I'm a Pākehā woman so I'm pretty low on the pecking order. Um, I know that and I'm aware of that and because I'm not an extrovert who wants to be in the front or leading in any situation I prefer to be at the back um, it sits well with me. I don't want to be having to speak. Uh, I think my advice to any Pākehā woman in the Māori world would be um, whakaiti, be humble and um, don't project yourself. Just go with the flow and watch what other people are doing and learn from others. Mm. That, that won't sit well with some Pākehā woman though. I'm sure it doesn't. The more strident woman... Um, will try and um, change the rules. That's the way I've been exposed to it, and that's the way I am. I don't need to, I don't need to assert myself or have any speaking right or anything like that. I'm very happy as a Pākehā woman, kimuri in the background. Mm. Tell me about your work now. Um, uh, how do you start introducing Te Reo Māori to? new generation that are going through our school systems uh, many years on from, from the days when you started trying to learn it? I think there's much more openness now. I don't think we're pushing the proverbial uphill. Um, many um, Pākehā teachers, non-Māori teachers are really ready to embrace this. Their main obstacle is the lack of confidence they have in their ability to do it. To do it. A, to embrace any second language, but specifically Te Reo Māori, where maybe Māori parents will be down on them like a ton of bricks if they do things wrong. But there's definitely an openness, there's a willingness of heart. Their hearts are in a good place. Um, are there lessons that you learnt from persevering with uh, the language with your children that you can impart? I did have little rituals like every night would always be a Māori story read at bedtime. And I still do that when my muckle from Hong Kong comes back here. Um, read Māori stories, send Māori books to Hong Kong for him. Yes, um, I just want, and I sing um, Māori waiata to him. I made up an oriori, a lullaby for him when he was born, telling him about his whakapapa, um, the dual heritage he comes from, not just the Māori one, but the Scots one as well. So at any opportunity, I just get it in there. <laughs> I think this generation, the, the kids at Kura, probably don't realise the struggles we had back in the 70s 
trying to create opportunities to learn te reo Māori, like as exemplified by me having to study it at home with a textbook. Um, could a kids probably just think it was always here and available to them to learn at school? And at universities. Mm. Like in my day, it wasn't even offered, only anthropology. So what, what would you say to a, a young Pākehā uh, woman like you were, <laughs> um, considering trying to, to do what you did, which was, was carry the language on uh, in the family and around the home? I believe that um, home is the best place to um, to instill in your children a love of a language other than English. Now, for other families, that may, that may not be Māori. It might be their own Samoan tongue or whatever. But if you're a, um, if you're a Māori parent, then I'd like to think you have an obligation to pass that knowledge on to your tamariki. Mm. Um, your your sons uh, are adults now. What do they say about that upbringing? Yeah. At the time, I would have to be honest, um, they, because of a lack of um, teacher at school, they had to be put on correspondence school. And I used to make them do their te reo Māori on a Sunday afternoon before going to the park. And they resented that. I know they resented it. They were... 15 at the time, and um, looking back, they so appreciate the fact that I did um, make them carry on with Reo Māori. They weren't given the option of dropping out, so they took it right through to year 13. And now that one has had his first child and the other is about to, there's a a reawakening and a a realisation that this is really, really important. Mm. My son recently got married <clears throat> at the Marae and we were adamant, um, he and I, that we needed this to be a bicultural celebration. It helped that he was marrying a Māori girl and she was from Te Atiawa, so we chose a Te Atiawa Marae and we made sure that um, there were kapahaka, waiata after every baikōrero, um, there was the haka there, um, done after my son's speech. Um, we had a table at the back of the reception venue on the marae um, with photos of all those who'd passed on before, before us, like my mum and my dad and my ex-tanis um, tupuna. So they were all there like a table of remembrance. So things like that, we've We've tried to incorporate into this this generation, te ao huri huri. Don't forget the past. Um, always look back in order to look forward. Mm. And what about you? Who do you who do you say you are these days when you're introducing yourself in a in a Maori world? Introducing myself in a Maori world, I make reference to the landmarks back in Scotland. I do that first and foremost. Uh, Scotland's really important to me and to my boys. I've taken them back there. I've um, climbed their maunga with them and I've um, taken them to their river, the River Dee, so that they know their whakapapa and their pepeha from back there as well. So in a Māori audience, that would be my first thing that I always do, introduce myself 
in terms of those landmarks, that pepeha. And then I go on to say that my children are Māori from Ngāti Awa. Hmm. You, had, you have had um, other family members. What, are they, what did they make of the journey you went on with the language? Well, no one's jumped on the waka, let's put it that way, of my family. I think they have enormous respect that I have entered into a, another world because it's difficult stepping into another world. You feel so much more comfortable in your own environment. But I think the difficulties are um, are outnumbered by the blessings that you get back and the richness you get back from being in that other world. And a, well, satisfying journey which you're still on. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much more I can learn. So I'll always be um, learning um, new stuff. I'm never there.